In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning and happy Easter. This is uh, our last Sunday in the Easter season. I trust that you have celebrated and feasted well during this Easter tide, the 50 days of the Easter celebration. In the context of our gospel this morning, Jesus is thinking about his crucifixion, which will occur within the next 24 hours. He knows he is about to leave his disciples alone in the world, and he goes before the Father as a priest would to intercede for them. So Jesus' prayer is a living embodiment of the intimate relationship that he had with his Father. So when we make this prayer our own, when we enter into this chapter and see what happens, we are being invited to come into the heart of that intimate relationship between the Father and the Son. Verse 3 says, and this is eternal life. It means to know, to perceive, recognize, become acquainted with, and understand you the only true and real God, and likewise to know him, Jesus as the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, whom you have sent. So this eternal life is not just something that people experience after they die. It includes that, but it is so much more. It isn't simply that in some future state the world will go on forever and ever and we will be part of it. The point is that this new sort of life has come to birth in the world, in and through Jesus Christ. All his followers, all who trust him and believe that he has truly come to the Father, or come from the Father, and has truly revealed the Father's character and purpose, all of them can and will possess eternal life right here, right now. So eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ intimately. And we will come to find out as the biblical story unfolds, the Holy Spirit will have an important part in this relationship as well. We already see the Holy Spirit at work and we will see a significant moment in salvation history next week when we talk about, when we celebrate and talk about Pentecost. So Moses, when he brought down the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai, he gathered all Israel together and he read the commandments before the people. And then he summed up the Ten Commandments in these words in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And then Matthew 22 tells us, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked them, him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And on the evening before his crucifixion, Jesus prays, and he prays that the disciples will come to know God intimately like he knew God. And actually, Jesus uh, is simply echoing those words of Moses. He is restating the lines in a brief phrase, and this is eternal life, 
that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you sent. So Jesus isn't talking about knowing God like we know our ABCs. Jesus is praying that we have an intimate relationship with God. And this can be difficult. It's hard enough to let our family and close friends in the door of our hearts, let alone God. And yet this is what is being asked of us. This is the only way to find meaning in life. And it is, it is the only way our children and grandchildren will find meaning in their lives as well. So when Mo- Moses read all of Israel, the Ten Commandments, and summed them up by saying, love God with all your heart, he added something very important. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Even Jesus told us in the great commission in Matthew 28, teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments that I have given you. So we have a responsibility to know and love God intimately and to teach and train our children and family and others to do the same. And as as this is the very meaning of life. So this is what it means to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission through the great tradition. So the prayer in verses 4 and 5 is a celebration and it is a request. The two are closely linked. In verse 4, as well as verses 6 through 8, Jesus is celebrating the fact that his work is done. Yes, there is a huge and dreadful task awaiting him the next day, but he completed the work that the Father gave him to do. So this is the reason for the celebration, and it is the foundation of the the request that he now makes. So this request in verse 5 is that he may now be exalted, glorified, lifted up alongside the Father. And that is what the Feast of Ascension is about. The work will continue through his followers, and that is what the Feast of Pentecost is about. And as I shared on the fifth Sunday of Easter, from that point onward, the Easter season has an outward focus. So what Jesus now prays in verses 9 onward grows out of the fact that he is going away. And he is entrusting the disciples to the Father that he has known and loved throughout his own earthly life. The Father who, he knows, will care for them every bit as much as he has done for his Son. So Jesus is very much aware that the disciples are at risk. The world which hates them as it hated him will bully, pressure, and mistreat them. They don't belong to the world, but they are to be sent into into it, and they need to be protected while they are in the world. So that is what this prayer is about. This section begins with a description of who Jesus' followers are. They are the ones the Father has given to Jesus, and they are... Um, already belong to him, and Jesus is handing them back into the Father's safekeeping. So they are distinct from the world. 
they are in the world, but not of the world. In other words, they live in and are sent to the world, but they did not take on their worldly way of life. So through Jesus, they have become new, cleansed, and changed people. So the world in this gospel doesn't mean simply the physical universe as we know it. It means the world as it has rebelled against God, has chosen darkness rather than light, to live a life of independence and separation from God and others. And Jesus is saying that as his disciples, our identity, our home and reality is centered in him and his kingdom. So what they now need is to be kept from being pulled back into the world. So during his public ministry of teaching and leading, Jesus has looked after his followers like a shepherd. A few weeks ago, we talked about that on Good Shepherd Sunday. And now because he's going to the Father, he is entrusting his followers to his Father to shepherd and keep them safe. So Jesus prays for our protection from the world. Patsy Claremont, author of the book, God Uses Cracked Pots, tells a story about her youngest son, Jason. Little Jason has two goals in life. One is to have fun and the other is to rest. And he does both of them quite well. So it was no surprise when he was sent out to catch the bus one fall day. A few moments later, there was a knock on the door. Mom flew to the door, jerked it open, and there stood uh, Jason looking up with his backpack and lunch box dragging the ground. And mom demanded, what are you doing here? He said, I've quit school. Mom said, quit school? Why have you quit school? And without hesitation, Jason said, it's too long, it's too boring, and it's, um, it's too hard. And she shot back, you have just described life. Now get back on that bus. <laughs> the day in and day out, Tedious happenings and challenges of life can be very overwhelming. And on top of that, add the pandemic, which has its own complications like sickness and fear and anxiety and loneliness and economic disaster, among many other things. Sometimes life can be just too long, too hard, and too boring. And we can lose our hope and joy and fall, into quick, fall quickly into despair. It's then that we are tempted to find meaning in life and things other than God. We look for escape through a bottle. We look for happiness and ecstasy in the form of another woman. We look for stability and fantasy in the life of another man. We try to resolve conflict through bullying, fighting, power, and partisan politics. We look for our identity in people and accomplishments. We try to fill the hole in our heart through material desires. And as you know, the list keeps going on and on. So Jesus understood these trials and temptations. And so he prayed, Holy Father, protect them from the world so they may be one as we are one. He prays that as we immerse ourselves in everyday living and even in pandemic living, we will have joy and peace. Jesus preferred that his disciples involve themselves in the issues of life. We are to be involved in what is going on in our, in our world, working to make a difference and for change. And this all flows out of an intimate relationship with the triune God, living out of kingdom life. 
Sometimes in doing that, we get beat up and we want to quit. We take a what's-the-use approach. John Wimber used to use several metaphors to describe the church. A home, a school, an army, and a hospital. And I'd like to focus on two of these images for just a moment. We are sent out as an army on mission with God, and we go to work, we do battle, and sometimes we do get beat up. And then we come back together as his community, like a hospital, to have our wounds healed, to be hugged and loved, to get filled back up again, to receive encouragement and strength and hope, to be road ready made ready to go back out again. And this is, sometimes, this is something that we can do through online worship and online gatherings like Zoom. But this medium isn't what we were designed for alone. So please be patient as we work to regather face-to-face and pray for us, believe the best, and be loving and grace-filled through this process. Jesus did not pray that we would be taken out of the world. Sometimes we get to the place where we want to be taken out of the struggles of life. But the scriptures make it clear that we are to stay in. And the promise is that he will be with us. I do hope you read in our email blast on Friday my article regarding regathering. Yes, I know it was long. Um, and I didn't get, um, I didn't receive the, the title Father Wordy for um, no reason. But nonetheless, I hope that you found it helpful as we give you an update and we communed some pastoral guidance through this time. But I'd like to briefly mention something from that article from Bishop N.T. Wright when he said this. We will no doubt learn many things in this time of enforced exile, which is what it is. But we should be praying towards the day when our buildings will function within our society as they were designed to do. Part of the answer to that prayer, as many have seen, might be to recognize the present moment as a time of exile. And we find ourselves by the waters of Babylon thoroughly confused and grieving for the loss of normal life. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? As in Psalm 137 translates quite easily into, how can I know the joy of the Eucharist sitting in front of a computer? Or how can I celebrate Ascension or Pentecost without being with my brothers and sisters? Perhaps part of the way in which we are being called right now to be the people of lament, perhaps this too is simply to be accepted as part of what life in Babylon is like. We must, as Jeremiah said, settle down into this regime and seek the welfare of the city where we are. But let's not pretend it's where we want to be. Let's not forget Jerusalem. Let's not decide to stay here. Seek the welfare of this city in this strange land where God has placed us, whether in quarantine or not. Jeremiah 29, 4-7 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. 
that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. We recall scripture that reminds us that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. How are we doing at being salt and light? We as followers of Christ are actively involved, embodying, doing the work of the kingdom. We cannot abdicate our responsibility responsibility to be change agents. So the question is, where is God in this pandemic? Must be out there on the front line, suffering and dying to bring healing and hope. And where are we during this pandemic, in this time of exile, quarantined or not, even after the pandemic, hopefully, out there on the front line, suffering and dying to bring healing and hope? And that can come in many, many different ways. He addresses the Father as holy in verse 11. He declares that he is setting himself apart so that the disciples too may be set apart. The word for being set apart is basically the same word for being holy, but our word holy, when applied to people, can give a sense of overpious religiosity, oftentimes wrongly thought of as perfect in the way that we understand perfect, which is foreign to the New Testament. Jesus is declaring that he has been all along set apart, consecrated for God's special work. And now, like the high priest, he is asking the Father to preserve his people from evil, from the tricks and the traps of the world. He wants them to be his holy people in the best and fullest sense, set apart, unique, and different from the world, complete, whole, and mature. And praying for them now, he is simply praying that what he has begun the Father were gloriously complete. Jonathan Edwards said, We should live our lives resolved never to do anything which we would be afraid to do if it were our last hour of our lives. How is our relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? What are we doing to nurture that relationship daily? How are we protecting ourselves from falling into the ways of the world? How are we impacting and being change agents in the world to our neighbors, to our co-workers, even during this pandemic? Have we been in battle and do we feel beaten up? What are we intentionally doing and how are we being filled up, loved on, and encouraged, receiving hope and healing so we can be road ready again? How are we living holy, set apart, different, and unique, distinct from the world? We are often the only Bible that some will ever read. Are we reflecting Jesus and his kingdom as salt and light? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.